Friends, fans, and warriors, we are excited to let you know that Fearless Features movies are now available for rent or purchase on Salem Now. Our two completed titles, Inwood Drive and The Mind Polluters, are both available on demand. Salem Now is dedicated exclusively to conservative and faith-based content and can be found on mobile apps and streaming services such as Roku, Apple TV, Amazon Fire Stick, and select smart TVs. Click the link in the show notes to see each film or visit SalemNow.com in the recently added section to watch either Inwood Drive or The Mind Polluters. Be sure to share with your family and friends as this is another way you can help support Fearless Features and the creation of more films like these that are making an impact around the world. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the intersection of faith, family, and filmmaking. You're listening to Fearless with Mark and Amber, a behind-the-scenes of our filmmaking ministry, Fearless Features, where we are creating documentary films about the issues impacting our culture and society from a biblical perspective. You can learn more about us and the movies we're making by visiting fearlessfeatures.org. And with me today is my husband, Mark Archer. Did Call I say, me Mr. Lambfries. Did I say I was Amber Archer? I think so. I think so. <laughs> Call me Mr. Lamfry. Okay. So today we have a special guest uh, that we're going to have on the show. You're everyone's problem. I know. Former Attorney General Curtis Hill will be joining you in a little while. But first, mm-hmm. why don't you bring us into um, sort of the conversation and how this came about? So uh, when we were talking to, so we <clears throat> taking it back just a little bit. So we were first introduced to former attorney, Indiana Attorney General Curtis Hill, when we were telling the story of what became Inwood Drive. Yes. And he is the one who was the Attorney General of Indiana when uh, all of the babies were discovered in Klopfer's house. Right. If you don't remember, it was 2,411 fetal remains that were found that were de- almost a decade old. Right. Decades old. Right. And so if you... If if you haven't heard that story, it's summed up in our first documentary film, Inwood Drive. You can watch it on InwoodDriveMovie.com. You can watch it on... Salem Now. Salem Now. You can it's watch it on Amazon. Yeah, Amazon Prime. Mm-hmm. And um, anyway, so we have also recently interviewed him to be part of the cast of Dysphoria. Mm-hmm. And uh, so um, we've gotten a chance to get to know him uh, over the years and... He uh, he recently wrote an op-ed for um, the Washington Times, and uh, so that uh, op-ed uh, I got to see uh, an early copy of that, and I thought this is really interesting because it he speaks to something that is on a lot of people's minds, and he's, the the title of it is "Abusing Prosecutorial Power: Nothing to Brag About." B R A G G. And so <clears throat> I'm going to read this, and then we're going to go to uh, a sit-down interview that I had with, uh, with Curtis. All right, so do, do black prosecutors see golden opportunities for payback to make up for the myriad of injustices suffered by black Americans throughout our nation's history? That is precisely the implication from political leftists as they offer giddy reactions to the 34-count indictment announced by Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg. Now Trump will know what it's like, they proclaim in unison as they applaud Bragg for his moral courage to, quote, pursue justice against Trump. You might say this indictment pertains solely to alleged falsified business records and has nothing to do with race. But the political left makes everything about race. 
That includes a lot of big city social justice district attorneys whose leftist tilt leaves true justice sliding off its foundations in woke jurisdictions all across America. The subverters with seemingly unlimited financial resources are getting exactly what they paid for. They identify progressive prosecutor candidates, preferably black, whose collective work will promote a social justice agenda nationally and appeal to the so-called marginalized communities. Thus begins the realignment of the criminal justice system in America. Sounds sinister? It is. These new kinds of social justice prosecutors won't be bound by the ordinary standards of prosecutorial discretion grounded in the U.S. Constitution. Oh no. Instead, DAs like Bragg will unilaterally determine the desired corrections to the system and, using the unfettered authority of their offices, realign the power dynamic regardless of the moral, ethical, and legal rightness of their intended outcomes. And I'll just add in here this is uh, this is the core of it what we've all seen is this selective enforcement mm-hmm. right this two-tiered justice system this is exactly what uh, what Curtis is talking about in other words they'll charge whomever they want for whatever they want or decline to charge whoever they want for whatever they want according to whether it suits their agendas regardless of the law and this will all be okay because we're making up for past wrongs Now, after all, Trump will know what it's like. I remember my own experiences being a young deputy prosecutor who happened to be black. I often got questions from others about why I would want to lock, quote, my people up. Or they might ask, why don't you practice criminal defense so you can help black people instead of hurting them? As I continued on my path to becoming one of the few black Republican elected prosecutors in the nation... I always dismissed such criticism as raw stupidity. I was not out to lock up black people, or white people for that matter, but rather to properly evaluate evidence and make decisions that were just and fair to all. Huh, wouldn't that be amazing? (laughs) Wouldn't that be amazing? I was and am quite aware of the historical injustices faced by blacks in America, including friends and members of my own family. It was not my job as a prosecutor, however, to use my position and the power that came with it to seek revenge. It was not my agenda to inflict injustices on people in other demographic categories just so they could experience the same unfair treatment that blacks have experienced. Injustice is injustice regardless of who's facing it. As a former prosecutor, I am particularly disturbed by Bragg's unbridled desire to get his target no matter what. He pursued a five-year-old tawdry tabloid story to concoct a case that had been rejected by his predecessor and declined by the U.S. Department of Justice. Bragg campaigned for office on a pledge to get Trump. So he wasn't going to back down no matter the weakness of the case. So the nation watches as Bragg seeks the justice of locking up Donald Trump for paying $130,000 to a porn actress in exchange for her agreement to keep her mouth shut and arranging for a friend to pay off an additional woman by buying rights to her story and then not publishing it. But those are not the crimes Bragg is alleging because they are not necessarily crimes per se. The crimes Bragg alleges is that Trump recorded his payments to his lawyer as legal expenses 
and not the preferred state of New York financial terminology of, quote, hush money. If only Trump would have written hush money in the memo section of his checks, none of this would be a problem, right? (laughs) While Bragg is bragging about his 34 repetitive counts, the reality is that he has just 34 examples illustrating the weakness of the same bad case. And he has refused to inform his target of the, quote, other crimes that Trump was allegedly covering up when he failed to write hush money on the checks. That's not constitutional. But Bragg says that he doesn't have to tell Trump the full charges. That's the kind of power he ascribes to himself. A popular refrain repeated extensively over the past week is, no one is above the law. And I agree. But no one is below the law, either. The criminal code in every state is established to clearly identify standards of conduct. The factual allegations, when compared against the appropriate code section, should be clear and concise as a matter of form, and they should matter in substance as a matter of justice. And while today the target is Donald Trump, make no mistake, Bragg and his social justice comrades have gotten a taste for the power to create their own legal standards out of thin air. They are just getting started. Bragg has put himself and the justice system in far greater peril than he has Donald Trump. And that's nothing to brag about. We are better than that. Mm -hmm. So with that, let's go to our interview with former Indiana Attorney General Curtis Hill. So, uh, Curtis, the the op-ed that you wrote, uh, Abusing Prosecutorial Power, Nothing to Brag About, um, talked all about this uh, abuse of power that's going on against President Donald Trump by Alvin Bragg. Can you explain to people who are not living in the legal world, because I think most of what we've heard on the news is distorted (laughs) in one way or the other. So break it down for us exactly what it is that Alvin Bragg has been doing, what this case is about to your best understanding. Well, Mark, it's not just what has been done to Donald Trump. It's really what Alvin Bragg has done to the criminal justice system. It begins with understanding the role of the prosecuting attorney or the district attorney. Those names are interchangeable. Sometimes people get confused about this. Well, what's the difference between a DA and a prosecutor? Well, there is no difference. It's just a it's just a matter of form of where you're at. So the Manhattan district attorney or prosecutor, Alvin Bragg, decides that he's going to uh, seek an injunction or excuse me, an indictment uh, against the president of the United States. Uh, And that seems like a really big deal. But the really bigger deal is that it was a targeted move that he had campaigned on when he ran for prosecutor. And it it speaks to the to to the abuse of authority to seek out someone to prosecute or prosecute someone because of a personal agenda, as opposed to being in office and an event takes place and you're responsible for investigating that event and making a decision about that event. That's Mm -hmm. what happens in this particular instance, Alvin Bragg, when he was running for DA uh, had been one of the chosen DAs by the left, uh, what I call a social justice prosecutor, someone who's specifically put in place to disrupt 
the current state of affairs with regard to prosecution. Uh, these are people who uh, recognize injustices that have occurred and believe that it's appropriate to, through the prosecutor's office, uh, decide how to uh, make adjustments for those injustices. Um, and as you might gather by my comments, I, I think that's absolutely wrong. Uh, I certainly am aware that there have been uh, many injustices in our American criminal justice system over the decades, centuries, in fact. Um, and, and I'm not trying to make light of those injustices, but we certainly don't resolve one injustice by creating another. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're seeing here. Um, Bragg has has gone forward with a 34 count indictment uh, on a case that was really a tawdry tabloid tale that was over five years old that had been previously declined by his predecessor, had been declined by the Department of Justice. And so the, the, the question that you have to ask yourself as an observer looking into the system is, why now and why at all? Um, and the why now and why at all goes back to his campaigning uh, with the mantra, I'm going to get Trump. Right. And when the prosecutor takes that position that uh, to telegraph a personal vendetta or personal political attack, uh, that cheats the integrity of the system. And that starts a process now where where it becomes tit for tat, um, where there's going to be uh, certainly pressure put on on conservative prosecutors, if you will, uh, to why not do the same thing to Joe Biden right. uh, on some rinky dink penny ante uh, uh, charge that means nothing but tie this guy up in knots. So that's the uh, that's the general nature of the concern that I have. Um, and it's and it's a very real concern because from a constitutional standpoint, justice was the first uh, the rung when you when you go through the preamble, we the people in order to form a more perfect union, established justice comes first. That's even before domestic tranquility. If you can't have justice, you won't have domestic tranquility. And we're seeing that playing out in our living rooms and our streets uh, on a regular basis every night. You know, it's an interesting point. It goes to what I think a lot of people that are going to be listening to this feel like that there is this two tiered justice system that we're living in where we watch we watch every day how uh, people in the political elite class seem to get away with things over and over again that the average common man would go to prison for. You know, I mean, you could you could talk for days about about the uh, the political uh, malfeasance that we have seen just just what we know about. And uh, so that frustration is very palpable. And I think you're right. The 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 loss of domestic tranquility, I think, is becoming more evident every day. And it's more, though, than the the elites and the non-elites. It's, it's really a matter of who's in power and who's preferred mm-hmm. because in, in the situation of Trump, for example, Trump is uh, uh, certainly one would consider him a political elitist uh, uh, in his own right. So uh, the issue there is uh, he's not preferred by the prosecutor who's making the decision. And so the, the choice becomes uh, a different choice. 
how many people who are facing the same circumstances of a contract to keep someone's mouth shut would be facing charges uh, after five years if their name wasn't Trump? So that 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 be, it, be, it becomes a matter of personalities versus um, the crime itself. In all the years that you have worked as a, because you spent a large part of your early career as a working in the prosecutor's office, and then as a prosecutor, and then moving on to attorney general for the state of Indiana, uh, how much pressure have you felt through the years? from outside sources to sway the decisions based on politics, based on uh, social standards, things like that? The pressure is always out there. There's always someone who wants to uh, take advantage of the system or benefit from the system. And uh, from my early days as a young prosecutor, I, I took the job very seriously. Um, and I remember when I was first uh, elected prosecuting attorney, I brought my chief investigator in and I said, here's what's going to happen. There are going to be people who come in to us and say, they, uh, can you can you cut us this favor? Can you can you can you do this? Can you make that go away? And I told him, make it very clear from the beginning that that's not what we do. And very, very quickly, it became uh, widely known that this was an office where everyone was treated uh, the same in the sense that uh, there were no favors fixed. Um, as a result of that, I, I, I can tell you there are uh, there are several, uh, uh, how should I say, well-connected individuals in my home community who don't care for me to this day because I wouldn't fix their DUI or mm -hmm. I, would, I wouldn't make some case go away. Now, we didn't pile on and it, 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 they, the people were treated the same as anyone else. But I can recall someone coming to me and saying, hey, this guy's been a, a tremendous member of the community. Uh, he doesn't really need this DUI on his record, blah, blah, blah. And I would I would look at that and say, well, how is that different than the guy who left the corner bar who I don't know? That guy doesn't need a DUI either, but he got the DUI. He needs to go through the system. So I think it's imperative to meet that type of pressure that a prosecutor is going to have or anybody who's in a position of authority or, or, or uh, power is going to have. Um, you see it also um, with uh, uh, state representatives and congressmen. Uh, they're connected to the people and uh, you see someone sign a big uh, check for a contribution. There's pressure when that contribution comes in Oh, I, I'm, you're going to have to follow what this person does because they made this big contribution. That's the same kind of pressure. We have to be bigger than the pressure that's applied to make us do the wrong things. And once you start down that path, uh, there's no easy way back. And that's unfortunately what's happened to Bragg um, and, and others. Uh, this is happening all over the country. Once you start the the the, the process of of uh, succumbing to the pressure of listening to the mob rather than listening to uh, the scales of justice, then things aren't going to, there's not going to be the balance that the justice system requires. And, it, and it's going to get kind of dicey. Yeah. You know, uh, so just so people understand, so we, uh, the our first interaction with you was when we were working on our first 
documentary film Inwood Drive, which was about Klopfer, the abortionist. And and during that interaction, and and we were we were complete outsiders. We were just trying to tell the story. And from the very beginning, um, as as Christians and investigative filmmakers, we're we're very we try to be very careful to be very fair with people when we come in, that we don't come in with an agenda trying to smear people, trying to, you know, slant things one way or the other. And one of the things that we both noticed about you from the start when we when we came to your office at the state house to interview you is that you you were obviously very fair very fact centered and um and even even when i there's a there's a part in that film where we we got to uh, park ourselves in the corner of a radio interview that you were doing with Kathy Humbarger and Kathy asked you some questions and you were very careful to I remember your response she asked you a question and you you kind of pushed back and you said Kathy I can't answer that because that would call call for me to to speculate and that's not what I do and I thought that was uh and I fast forward then to um so we we have interviewed you for our new film dysphoria and one of the things that I love is that in your office, you have a um, a statue of Lady Justice, and I, I think everybody has seen the statue. It's on it's on a lot of courthouses, in a lot of courthouses, where the woman is standing there and she's holding the scales, and she's blindfolded. And I think we've forgotten that that's what justice. When we say justice is is blind, it's supposed to be right. How, uh, it's supposed to be blind and and in that blindness it means that justice is not looking out to see who gets it mm-hmm. it, it shouldn't be a matter of uh white black yellow red it shouldn't be a matter of age circumstance it should be a matter of here's what happened here's what the standard is apply what happened to the standard and come up with a result and that's the way that it becomes a fair application. Um, it gets messed up when we take the blindfold off and we see what we're doing, because now we're adding to the mix. We're, we're, we're adding, oh, this happened to such and such. Oh, if I known it had happened to this person, I would have done something different. Mm-hmm. That's, not, that, that's not fair. That's not, that's not appropriate. And, you know, it's amazing. Uh, what I have seen over the years is the number of people who, who cite that standard and, and supposedly believe in that standard until something happens to them or something happens to someone they know. And then it's, well, but this is different. Right. And there's, a of, there's a lot of pressure to, to, to believe that. And, and it, it's certainly why prosecutors and those of us who are in positions of authority to make decisions for others, we do need to empathize with people we need to we need to understand the plight of people who are accused oppressed uh, uh who are victims um we need to feel but we shouldn't make decisions based on emotion or passion our decisions have to be made upon uh, facts and our adherence to the rule of law hey warriors i want to let you know about an exciting way you can help us share christ and help protect children from perverse ideologies in italy 
Yes, I said Italy. By God's grace, our latest documentary film, The Mind Polluters, continues reaching people all over the world and is having a tremendous impact in educating and motivating communities to take action in protecting the innocence of children. An Italian dub of the film is needed to break through the language barrier to help our brothers and sisters in Christ make a significant impact in their communities. Learn more about this need and share your support at fearlessfeatures.org. So when do you think this shift came around um, in the legal system? Has it been, has it always been there where, uh, or, or, or has it, it, it seems to, it seems to me just as an, an outside observer, just an everyday guy that this, this notion of bring me the man and I'll find the crime has just accelerated exponentially just over the past, I don't know, five, six years. It, it, am I seeing that right? Or have, it, have you seen this uh, as a, as an ongoing pattern and where do you think that it's come from? Well, let's not, let's not be under any illusion that this type of activity has never occurred before. I mean, the unfortunate reality is there are certainly pockets of injustices that have been happening uh, for as I say, decades and centuries, and in, in different situations where where someone with authority is corrupt and uses that corrupt authority to uh, uh, to create a nightmare for other people. We, uh, the, the best case example of that is in the uh, the Deep South uh, with uh, Jim Crow segregation. Uh, that was legalized segregation, and there were actual efforts by those in law enforcement and, and prosecuting authorities and judges uh, that made decisions based upon their racial animus uh, as opposed to justice. So there, there's always been some of these things, and that's always something to address. What we're seeing today is a more brazen political uh, uh, nature to it, um, an organized effort to actually identify um, individuals, lawyers, that are willing to go into the criminal justice system as prosecutors and disrupt the system to, um, to, to identify particular offenses or a particular line of offenses that perhaps the left doesn't think ought to be offenses, or they feel that those offenses bring certain members of the marginalized groups down. So our way of dealing with that, instead of, instead of going to the legislative process and having those laws eliminated, we go through the prosecutorial process put prosecutors in place whose job it is to evaluate whether someone committed a crime or not and let the prosecutor determine there is no crime because I don't recognize that statute. I don't recognize these laws because these laws um, are no good. That has been going on for uh, several years now uh, and has been a concerted effort. a really good example of that is what's happened recently up in the city of Chicago. Uh, Chicago's been, been facing some uh, mob violence, uh, kids out on a regular basis attacking right. people. And when covering those reports, um, news reporters went to the new mayor elect and wanted to get some information on his feeling of what occurred. And his response was that the we shouldn't demonize the, the the these youth that are out there 
uh, marauding over the public. Um, they need services and they need this and they need that. And he spent more time making excuses for the violent mob rather than listening to the cries of the victims. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's a part of what's been taking over in in our country. Um, the shift, as you described, this shift in in um, what our priority our priorities are uh, as mayors, as prosecutors, and the result of that is you're having people who are engaging in all sorts of violent behavior being held completely unaccountable. Not only not only are they being held unaccountable or not held accountable, uh, but they're being encouraged. They're being uh, uh, they're being encouraged to continue on with this path of violence um, because they're not being condemned. Uh, they're not being told um, uh, or held accountable. So I I think it's it's gotten to the point where it's it's becoming normal. Uh, part of it too is uh, on another side of it is the ability to make an accusation against someone and not afford them the presumption of innocence. So in one sense, it's it's a prosecutor seeing crime that's occurring uh, through riots and violence and ignoring it. That's one aspect. Mm-hmm. The other aspect is then going out and identifying things that the prosecutor wants to identify as a crime. Um, and and in this society we live in today, the presumption of innocence has is all but gone. In the old days, the law the legal system I grew up in, if a person was accused of a crime, they were presumed to be innocent until proven guilty. That's the that's the standard. And nothing else happens until that process is completed. And we and we've been over backwards to ensure that the the accused has all those rights protected. That's the prosecutor's primary job. Well, now we've become a society of guilt by by accusation. Right. And and it's not just in the courtroom. In fact, it doesn't even matter if it gets into the courtroom. Social media has taken over. And if you can just make an accusation and you can get it out there, you're done. Mm -hmm. Going back to the Bragg and Trump situation, I've had people ask me, well, how do you think this ends? Can Trump be convicted? And the answer to that question is, in the ordinary criminal justice system, Trump does not get convicted because these charges are are weak and and not not well-defined, and it should fail for a number of reasons. But we're no longer in the ordinary criminal justice system. We're in a system now that's sort of uh, locked out, and that means anything goes. And in this particular instance, it's not so much whether Trump gets convicted of these 34 counts. It's that Trump got charged with 34 counts. Mm-hmm. And that's the story. The story is that he has he's walking around now with this albatross around his neck and and it's going to slow him up. It's going to be something he has to address. It's going to be a constant in his life. And that is, in my estimation, Bragg's objective is mm-hmm. to throw this dirt on him and watch him sink explain to people the uh, 
the concept of prosecutorial discretion because i i know that there there obviously is discretion there that the that the office holder has uh, what what is the standard there for a prosecutor you have to have prosecutorial discretion because otherwise you end up with stupid results mm. if you just flat out have a justice system or, or a, a criminal justice system with a criminal code which are, are rules basically we lay out the state legislature puts out uh, you can't do this and you can't do that you can't do this those that's the law if you simply put a person in a position to say, did this person commit that crime and should they stand to be uh, stand accused of that crime? And if the person just looks at the law, looks at the circumstance and just goes by the book the whole time, you're going to end up with some stupid results. You're going to end up with things that, well, yes, we could go forward, but who cares? So what? Why? That's not a, an issue that we're concerned about. The community doesn't benefit by that. It's kind of what we might call the so what standard. If we don't have that, we end up with stupid results. And so it's important that a prosecutor be that person in the justice system that is trusted enough to make those decisions for the community. The prosecutor is setting the community standard. And so that's why you have a prosecutor in County A and a prosecutor in County B and a prosecutor in County C. Those three counties might have a difference uh, of, of what their standards are in terms of of how hard they want to press on certain issues or how little they want to press on certain issues. Here in the state of Indiana, for example, uh, there's a big difference between what uh, what the standard is in Elkhart County versus Monroe County, where Bloomington is, or Lake County, uh, which are far more liberal than Elkhart County or Allen County. Um, so the prosecutors set that tone for how things occur. And much of that tone is set through their discretion. So I have the discretion to take um, uh, harsher positions, lesser positions. And I want to be clear, I absolutely support prosecutorial discretion as an, a vital necessity to getting to doing the job correctly. That's different, though, than a prosecutor who comes in and and disregards the law or, or determines that a whole series of laws uh, are not applicable because he or she disagrees with the General Assembly's uh, issuance of those of those standards. Uh, so when a prosecutor stands up and says, um, I'm not going to prosecute people for marijuana offenses because I think it's I, I think that marijuana should be legal. Well, marijuana is not legal. And you may think it ought to be legal, but it's not. Now, you can make a discretionary call on a case and determine that there's insufficient evidence to establish that a person is in uh, uh, violation of that law. And, and I might disagree with that, but that's within the prosecutor's discretion. What a prosecutor can do is come in and say, um, I'm making a policy that we're not going to follow this particular statute any longer. That's right. that's crossing the line. So it's it's a I've 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 often told people that the, the prosecuting attorney is the most uh, powerful political figure that you're going to have in any community. More powerful than a congressman, more powerful than a senator, more powerful than a governor, more powerful than the president, because none of those other agents or, or none of those other uh, uh, elected officials 
have the authority to arrest and hold someone against their liberty. Right. The does. There's, and there's checks and balances to uh, hopefully prevent abuse, but notwithstanding those checks and balances, that's still an awesome raw power that a prosecutor has. So, the you know, I think the natural reaction that uh, the people have is to say, okay, but we're going to get you back. Right. And so they, they see this happening and then there's this reaction, this tendency to say, okay, but when we're in power, then we're going to do the same thing back to you. Can you speak to the, you know, the, 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 what I've always come back to, and I've had conversations with friends through the years that, that have had this, you know, that have verbalized this. And I say, listen, I understand the desire for for vengeance, if you will, but there has to be a difference between the party of law and order and the party of chaos, right? And just because they're doing it and getting away with it, when when you're on the the victim side of it and you're crying out saying this is illegal, it's unconstitutional, doesn't make it okay once you're in power to then do unconstitutional things back. So uh, can you speak to that and the, sure. the, the importance of main, of maintaining law and order? Well, what you said seems so logical and yet it has to be, it has to be said because that's exactly what human nature is all about. Well, you did it to me. So now I'm going to do it to you. Um, or it wouldn't be fair if we didn't do it to you because then you got one up on us. And that's exactly the mental state that we have to deal with here. That's that's the danger of what Bragg has done, because uh, despite the fact that you have all of these people and they're not all Republicans, uh, there's even some Democrats who are saying it, but but it's largely along political lines. You have a lot, all these Republicans that are saying that was that was wrong of that DA to do that. But uh, the first opportunity that they get, they're going to use what we call the Bragg rule and mm -hmm. after someone who they don't like. And and that's what happens. Um, that's why we have to be better than that. Um, it, it, it certainly is no, it's no justice to seek injustice on anyone. And that's what's been particularly troubling. And I brought it up in the article that I wrote uh, that was uh, published in the Washington Times that you referenced earlier. Um, this idea that, that uh, our black prosecutors looking at opportunities like this to um, uh, to sort of rewrite history or to or to, to get payback. Um, well, I, I certainly would hope not, but 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 there's certainly it certainly can look that way is, is and the reason it looks that way is I saw several shows where uh, some of the pundits were were talking about, well, now Trump gets to see how how uh, how it feels, right. Well, see how what feels. Well, he gets to see how what it feels like to be brought up on trumped up charges. And that's what they're saying. They're saying mm -hmm. now Trump gets to feel see what. Well, so that makes it right. So you're saying that you didn't like it when someone else when 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 someone else that you know or like had to face this bad situation, and, and we acknowledge that people have faced these bad situations. It was it was the wrong thing to do. You're saying that it's okay to do it over here now because now you get to show somebody else what it felt like. 
can't we acknowledge that these type of injustices have occurred and take a position that we as those in power are committed to make sure it happens to no one? Because if you're if you're if you're looking at injustice in the black community, for example, if I really wanted to play this out, I'd say there have been 400 years of injustice in the black community. Uh, as Malcolm X said, um, uh, it's like putting a, a, a nine inch blade in, in your back and then pulling it out six inches and saying there's been progress. Well, that's no progress. So we've, we've had 400 years of injustice against the black man in America, right? Okay, well, how are we going to fix that? Well, we got to make them see how it feels. Well, how am I going to do that? We got 400 more years coming where whites are getting face injustice. Mm-hmm. Well, that doesn't make for a very rosy future for anybody. Uh, the whites are going to have a pretty bad future uh, being oppressed, and the non whites are going to have a very tough future trying to figure out how to keep up enough anger over 400 years to be oppressive. Mm-hmm. That, but that's what we're facing this tit for tat, this, this, this buildup, this buildup, this buildup. Um, if we are a nation, always there are people saying we're a Christian nation. Well, we're, we're a nation of folks who claim to be Christian. And in claiming to be Christian, um, one of the virtues of, of uh, Christendom is the, the ability to forgive and the ability to love and the ability to move forward. Um, those things seem to be lost in this in this payback justice system. Um, so I think it's a very, very real problem. And I think it takes uh, courage and uh, wisdom to rise above it, to not fall into the heap and say, well, we're just going to do this because they did that. Somebody's got to draw the line. Somebody's got to be the bigger man. Somebody's got to have the higher purpose and put things back in track. And if you miss your opportunity to get your eye for an eye, well, you just missed it. And perhaps you can do better than that. Yeah. Last thing I wanted to ask you, and I want to give you the the, the final word on this, but you, you shared with us the story of uh, uh, when you were growing up and what happened with your dad and your your house being attacked. And I wondered if you might share with people that story. And um, and I'm curious what what lessons as a young young man or young boy that you learned from that watching how your dad uh, responded to that. Well, one of the earliest memories that I had as a youngster uh, was when my father brought home a brand new shotgun. And I, I know how I was three years of age. I did not remember that I was three. I later found out through newspaper clippings uh, because this happened uh, the night after my third birthday. But my father had brought home a brand new shotgun. And the the five kids uh, were, were there at the house and he unzipped the bag and pulled it out and told us it was dangerous, told us it was loaded, showed us where he was going to put it and told us to stay away from it. And the reason that my father brought that shotgun home was that the night before, while we were sleeping in bed, someone had thrown a, a bomb, a Molotov cocktail on our house. Um, it had exploded, but fortunately uh, uh, dissipated and, and, and rolled off of the, the, the roof. And so there was a marginal damage to the house, but no one was physically injured. And... Uh, 
my father uh, contacted the police. Uh, they did somewhat of an investigation, but not a not a thorough investigation. And his response uh, was to go out and get a shotgun. Now, at that same property, years before, and this is before I was born, my father was in his late 20s and had purchased this land with the idea of perhaps building a house, maybe not. He had a couple of pieces of property. Uh, but what made his mind up was that he had been summoned to a meeting of the of these neighbors or would-be neighbors who let him know in no uncertain terms that neither he nor his young family was welcome in that neighborhood because of their skin color. And they went so far as to um, make a collection amongst them, financial collection, and they offered to buy him out. Well, it just pissed my dad off and anybody who knew my father uh, would attest to that. And he decided on that night that he was going to build that house on that spot. Um, and I, and I, and I saw a lifetime of engagement by my father in similar manners, uh, where, uh, something was at stake and a decision had to be made and he would make a decision that was uh, very intentional and, and oftentimes very controversial and with a margin of risk. Um, and, and what that taught me, and I think it taught our family, was that you have to stand. Uh, you have to stand, you have to fight. Um, you know, my father uh, loved this country. He was a veteran. He loved this country. Um, he faced discrimination. He faced attacks on his family. And yet it didn't diminish his love for America and his engagement in America. He was a civil rights activist. He was fighting for his freedom and the freedom of his family, for the ability to do, for me to do the things I do today. That all comes from my father's fight. Um, he didn't, he didn't turn his back on the Star Spangled Banner. Um, he didn't, uh, in his protests and his efforts to uh, expand laws that were uh, supportive of he and his family, he always believed in the rightness of America. Even when America or Americans were not acting right, he believed in the, in the fundamental principles that drives America to get it right. And that's what's important. That, that I think that's what part of what drives me and and the message that that I try to get to those who are uh, not content with what the state of America has become, recognizing their place in getting involved and fixing that process. Um, it's easy for some people to come out and say, and they're, and they're encouraged to say, oh, America has not been right for us. So uh, let's change the system. Let's, 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 let's turn our back on America because America turned our back on us. No, there's, this is still the most uh, vibrant, powerful, wonderful nation on earth. Um, we just have to figure out how to, um, uh, get aligned with the values that exist. And one of the, uh, lots of times we talk about you know, the biggest problem in America is that we've, uh, the degradation of the family, the decline of the nuclear family. And while that's important and, and it is critical, I think the biggest problem that we face in America is that we have turned away from God. Um, yeah. that's a, that's deeper 
than the degradation of the family. The degradation of the family comes from our turn away from God. And when I say turning away from God, I'm not suggesting some type of of uh, self-righteous Bible thumping, uh, uh, fake stuff. Because the the reality is that we're all broken. When you when you understand where we are as humans, uh, we all are fall, flawed. Uh, we are broken. We all fall short. And uh, what turning to God does for us is it's a reminder of how far we have fallen or how far we have to go and what we need to do in, in forgiveness for ourselves and forgiveness to others. Most of the issues that we face in this country and this nation could be solved by an introspective review of what's going on in our own dark hearts and how we can offer forgiveness to others and forgiveness for our own transgressions and turn that back into the American value system. Amen. Amen. Well, is there anything else that uh, that you want to add here before we go? Well, I'm, uh, I appreciate the, spending a few minutes with you. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm busy contemplating um, what we're going to do the next move. I'm giving some strong consideration to um, engaging back in public service as a mm-hmm. Might be a few opportunities coming my way, so uh, be on the lookout. We definitely will, and we would be very excited to to. I think I think anybody listening would be excited to have somebody of your caliber back in public service because it's such a rarity to hear someone who um, has held office at that level and to say with such conviction that uh, you know right is right and wrong is wrong and we need to be about truth and justice truth justice in the american way right that's that's what superman used to talk about he doesn't talk about that anymore (laughs) it's very real and it's it's very sad because we're it's not that we're losing it mark we're giving it away yeah that's what that's what's shocking about it and now the good news is that the, the the elements that are at work always overshoot and when they overshoot that's the opportunity that we have because things are really stacked up against our point of view right now uh we're we're losing the public debate we don't have the media on our side we don't have uh corporations on our side nobody wants to be with those of us who are kind of hanging on or clinging to the truth and we're being accused of being haters we're being accused of being racist we're being accused of all sorts of things and what are we trying to do? We're 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 just we're trying to hang on to the good things about living in America. Yeah, uh, you know, it's it's not that big a deal, but we're getting pounded. But the but as I say, the good news is the the extremists always push too far, and what happens is some folks will start to wake up and say, "Oh, oh, I didn't I didn't know we were going to go that far." I mean, our best example of that that I can think of really quickly is the uh, uh, Leah Thomas, the uh, yeah. Will Thomas slash Leah Thomas scenario. Here's a guy who was number 462 ranked male swimmer. 462 means you don't win anything. You're getting, <laughs> you're getting nothing. Shut out. He identifies as a woman and he's suddenly a NCAA champion. Right. 
Well, I have talked to some folks who are really liberal in their viewpoint about transgender things. And when that happened, there was a little light bulb that went off in their head. And they said, oh, that didn't seem right. And, yeah. and, and that's an aha moment. And, and, and I'm, I'm able to say, yes, and that's why I'm concerned about it. It's not because I, I, I want to dislike Leah Thomas. It's, it's not even I don't really care if, if if William Thomas wants to be Leah Thomas. I don't care. That's a personal decision. I'm about personal freedom. I don't understand it. I don't get it. But they can do whatever they want. But mm-hmm. when the impact of that decision has such far reaching consequences to be a, a threat to the sovereignty of biological females, well, I have to stand up and say something. And, yeah. and that's what's happened in this world. So um, hopefully we can continue to identify things like that, um, make them clear and see what we can do to correcting uh, the standard of proof. Yeah, that's such a good illustration. Uh, and I think there's a lot of people uh, you see it happening right now with the whole controversy with uh, with Bud Light and Anheuser-Busch where people look at that and, you know, Amber and I have talked about this many times. I think people in America, they're, they're willing to live and let live, Mm -hmm. right. Even outside of, outside of the, the, you know, the religious part of the discussion, because um, I, I have always dealt with people like that working in the film and television industry. And like you said, I'm willing to live and let live. I don't condone their behavior, but I'm not, I'm not persecuting them. I'm, you know, I, I, I get along with them as best I can, but when it has come to the point where now you must accept it, you must affirm them in their delusion and, and people are going, now, wait a minute, <laughs> that well, is a guy in a dress. Well, that's what's pretending. going on. It's become the standard of either you affirm or that's an indication that you hate. Right. Well, there's only two avenues for Mark. Mark and either Mark is either hating these people or he's affirming these people. And if you're not affirming, you're hating. Well, that's right. not true. I don't have I, I don't have to hate you. Uh, the Bible says I have to love you. Mm-hmm. I don't have to affirm you. Um, what what I do is I accept you. I accept your 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 rights and your freedoms. But I have my own thoughts and freedoms and rights. And that's you know. That's what's that's what's so amazing about the times that we're living in now is the effort to try to make people do something. I'm going to make you love me. No, you're not. So let's, <laughs> let's quit talking about it. Let's quit pretending that that's going to happen. And let's get back to what's real. The reality is live your life. And if you want to come to me and find out what, hey, you're, you're confused about something. Hey, I'll talk to you about it. If you don't want to come to me because you're not confused. That's okay too. Uh, that, that, and that's part of what we have to on on our side of this issue. We can't be so holier than thou that just because we don't understand what goes on in the mind of someone like that, that that we write them off as evil, bad, this, that, and the other thing. Um, but we have to be able to, to come together to have dialogue at some point on how we can move forward without the silly stuff, without the stupid stuff. Because right now all we're seeing is stupid, stupid, stupid. And while stupid, stupid, stupid seems like we can sustain it for a while, here's what happens. While we're busy being stupid, 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 guess what the Chinese are doing? Mm -hmm. Taking our tails to the bank. And we're so busy, we're busy trans this and trans that and CR this and CR that. 
And while we're working on all that stuff, Chinese are buying up America. Uh, the, the, the Russians are checking things. I mean, every, the, the whole world is watching what we do because they want to take us out. Yeah. And, and the Chinese and the Russians, on top of that, they're also preparing for war. Yes. And in the meantime, we're we're celebrating, uh, you know, having spent time in a military organization. Um, it, when I see pictures of Army, Air Force, Marines in their dress uniforms, wearing kink masks, right, dressed like dogs and or dressed like the opposite gender. And I think uh, this is this is not acceptable on any level, but especially in, in the military environment. It go, again, it goes back to here are the absolutes, right? There are uniform standards, there are presentation standards, and it's just all been thrown out the window. And we don't want that person in the foxhole. And it's not because it's not because of a, of a different lifestyle. It's because that foxhole is real. That's life and death. Yeah. Somebody who understands what that role is and what and the seriousness of the consequences, because we may not be getting out of that foxhole. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you for listening through to the end. And be sure to check out the movie Inwood Drive on Salem Now, InwoodDriveMovie.com and Amazon Prime. Thank you so much for listening. We'll talk to you again next Tuesday. I am dangerous.